I had to surrender my job. I had to surrender my new home. And the last thing I had to surrender was my money. And God was whooping me and slapping my hind end all over the place saying, I got to have all of you. So as I was fleshing this out, it wasn't a seminary course. It was on the school of hard knocks. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. If someone were to ask you what characteristics you like in your friends, you might make a long list of the things you find in the people who mean a lot to you. Most everyone wants a friend who is honest, genuine, and who loves people. On this Level Paths podcast, you'll meet a pastor who is the definition of someone whose primary focus is to love people. Tommy Reed is the pastor at First Baptist Church of Fitzpatrick in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. Here's Matt Shamlin. Well, welcome to another edition of the Level Paths podcast. It is our desire to see the glory of God in clear view. We want this podcast to help you, equip you, encourage you in ministry in rural America and in Appalachia. Today is a very, very special day because we have a dear, dear pastor friend of mine, Brother Tommy Reed. Brother Tommy, welcome to the Level Paths podcast. Thank you. It's great being with you guys today. So let's go ahead and get started. You are a pastor of First Baptist Church of Fitzpatrick near Pikeville, Kentucky. Who is Tommy Reed? I put it best this way. I am the donkey in the Kentucky Derby of life. You know, as we live our life, we look back and we see 2020. I was born in Apopka, Florida, outside of Orlando in January of 62. My dad was a transplant from the Sydney, Kentucky area near the West Virginia state line. So my dad met my mom. I was born there. But in 1974, the Lord took my dad's job away, I think. And he was forced to move back home to drive a coal truck in the Appalachian Hills where he grew up to make a living to support his family. So I've been here since Valentine's Day 74. And the Lord brought me here in these mountains so I could meet his son, Jesus. And it was through my girlfriend, who's now my wife, that I saw Jesus for the first time. And I remember asking her our sophomore years, you know, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't have sex, you don't go to wild parties, you know, you're not normal. What's wrong with you? And she said, well, you know, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And I'm a Christian and I'm not going to live that way. And it's like a blacksmith picked up a hot piece of metal out of the coals and just stuck it in my chest, immediate conviction. And so I accepted Christ the day after our junior prom, April 29th, 1979. And I felt like I was in the mountains here and God didn't even know I existed, but he knew exactly where I was. And so I'm a simple man. You know, I grew up, I love the culture where my family's from. I love the mountains. I love uh, the music. I love the storytelling that goes on, the, the clannishness of families and closeness of communities. We still observe the holidays. We still are very patriotic. We love our country. We love each other. Really, I'm just somebody that the Lord visited and sought me out and was very gracious to me. I was, I was an alcoholic at the age of 17. And so the Lord rescued me from that. And I've been all over the world. I felt like now I'm kind of like Indiana Jones for Jesus. You know, I've been in 
I don't know how many countries as a missionary and, and preaching, and I wouldn't trade my life for anything. I, I'm very grateful for the life God's given me, and he's, I'm just a simple man. And I've learned as I read the scriptures, he's looking for a man that will just believe in him. And we don't have to qualify ourselves to come to know him. We just got to believe in him and love him and be faithful. And he qualifies the called. So really, I'm a coal truck driver's son who grew up in these mountains and don't really care if I ever leave them, to be honest with you. Well, brother, I love that about you. And that's one of the many reasons that I wanted you to be on this podcast is because I've seen your ministry and hear your heart. It's amazing how God uses you during times, even in my own life, when I'm discouraged and I get a text message from Pastor Tommy uh, that is give a little message and tell me how much he loves me. So talk to us a little bit about God's call to the pastor. You pastor a great church, First Baptist Church of Fitzpatrick. Most people would never even know where Fitzpatrick is. And in uh, Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, you pastor a mega church, but it didn't start that way. So tell us a little bit about your call to the pastorate and how God's blessed you in almost 20 years there at First Baptist Church of Fitzpatrick. In uh, January 93, my pastor, Steve Rice, said, hey, uh, I've been praying about taking the church on a mission trip. And I said, oh, man, that sounds great. He said, would you uh, think pray about being the mission trip coordinator? I said, I'd be glad to. Through his praying, the Lord opened for us to go to Vermilion, Ohio. And it was on a rooftop, a third floor rooftop, shingling that roof of the inner city church in uh, July of 93 that I started feeling God calling me to surrender my life. And I wrestled for four years, four more mission trips. And finally, in August of 98, I looked at my wife on a Sunday night service. And I said, look, the Lord is, he's wearing me out and I just can't take this anymore. I've got to surrender my life. I don't know what that means, but would you go with me? I said, I don't know what any of this means. I just know I need to follow him. She started crying. and She said, I felt that about 14 years ago. So we go forward and I say, Lord, here I am. And here's my wife. I don't know what this means. If it's go to a foreign country and feed starving kids, so be it. He sent me about eight miles up Pond Creek to McVeigh. Their pastor had been there for 36 years. He was 82 years old. He retired. The church was uh, about ready to close. It was down to about 18 people. And so I was just filling in on Wednesday nights and, and Sunday nights. They asked me to come on Sunday morning, and I said, sure, I don't care. I went there and preached my first Sunday in March of 98 and never went back to my home church. They asked me to come every Sunday, and I said, well, sure, I don't care to go. I don't so then I started teaching on Wednesday nights and uh, preaching Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. On April 1st, they asked me to be their interim pastor. I went home and told my wife, I said, hey, they want me to be their interim pastor. I've just been there a month. I'd never preached. The first sermon I preached was the first Sunday in March. I didn't even know what preaching was. And she thought, is this April Fool's joke? And I said, no, seriously, they asked me to be their interim pastor. She said, what'd you tell him? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. So I was filling in. And then on uh, May 1st, they asked me to be a bivocational pastor. I was licensed and ordained in June of, of 98. On my last day at the power company, I felt the Lord calling me to quit my job at the power company, sell our new cedar home that we had built and move up to McVeigh 
on the ministry field. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I knew as much as he called me, he was also leading me to do that. So I, my last day at the power company was December 31, 98. And I started by vocational ministry, January 1st, 99. We baptized 136 people in five years and eight months. We had 333 in Bible school. The last summer we were there in 21 decisions. We did an outreach Bible school on Blackberry where all the Hatfield McCoy shenanigans went down. And I knew that the Lord was getting ready to move me. I could sense something was getting ready to change. I'd been there for over five and a half years. But I always said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you tell me to go, but please let it be while there's no strife in the church and people are being saved. He blessed with that. And so I came over here in uh, April of 2003 to preach a revival for Fitzpatrick. And when the pastor asked me to come, I had to call him back and say, by the way, where's Fitzpatrick at? And he said, in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. But I knew when I came to preach the revival that this is where I was going to be coming. I'd been on mission in Poland for three summers and I was prepared to go there. And so I came here and we had about 64 people in our congregation. It's really grown deep in discipleship. We've been on missions to Poland, to Haiti, Kenya. Uh, Our desire now is to start planting some churches in the next couple of years here. We've had two pastorates called to the ministry from our congregation. I can't wait to see more happen to that. It's a great godly biblical fellowship. You know, there's no strife, no uh, big eyes and little U's. It's it's truly a wonderful, wonderful blessing and a privilege to be here. Hey, brother, let me ask you a question. You use the words wrestle, that you wrestled with the Lord for four years. And one time you mentioned knowing, you know, something was about to change. And I've talked to other pastor friends about this call. One of my pastor friends talks about dissecting the burden of God for your life maybe a young man who's thinking about maybe God's calling him to ministry, or I met a gentleman just the other day who had middle-aged part of his life felt called to pastoral ministry. So lift up the hood for us for a minute and tell us what does that experience look like when God's going to set you apart for something? It was a mission trip that the Lord put the desire in my heart. I can remember sitting on the shingles of that roof and looking out over the city and saying, Lord, I want to make this difference every day in my life. Audibly, I said that. And I did. I wanted to be free, and I wanted to love people and help people and do good for people. And I wanted to make that difference every day. God was putting in my life the desire to do more for him. And so my four years, I was wrestling with surrendering to that, to be honest with you. I had to surrender my job. I had to surrender my new home. And the last thing I had to surrender was my money because I was not a biblical tither then. And God was whooping me and slapping my hind in all over the place saying, I got to have all of you, all of you, all of you. And so as I was fleshing this out, it wasn't a seminary course. It was on the school of hard knocks. I was Peter a lot of times. As God was loving me and long-suffering with me, the desire became clear that he was leading me to do that. And so as he was testing me and I was affirming it was him and not me, I took another step in that direction, another step. And the last thing I surrendered, I remember going to the altar and saying, Lord, here's my money. 
here's my life, here's my wife, my kids. I don't know what that means, but here I am. I'm all yours. And at that moment, that's when it all made sense to me. Time for four years. I look back and I'm thinking like, wow, did it really take four years? You be patient and make your calling and election sure. Because there's a bunch of guys hopping in and getting into ministry and they're petering out after three years and getting discouraged and quit. Because I think the trend is showing that the call of God is more important than your seminary education. Not there's anything wrong with that or how famous you're going to be or how well you can exegesis a verb or what great gifts you have. If you don't have the call of God first, it's all for naught. Because when you get involved in ministry, it's the call of God that sustains you like 2020. My word, it was the call of God that sustained me through 2020 and allowed me to encourage other pastors. Don't forget your call. You were called when things were hunky-dory and peaches and cream, and you're called in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. It's that call is very, very important, and we got to get that right, because if we don't get that right, the rest is going to be a mess. Brother Tommy, you said something as we've talked that I want to look at a little closer. As God was working on you, you wanted to do something that was an encouragement to others. You wanted to help other people. You said the call of God enabled you to encourage pastors during all the things that went on in 2020 with COVID. You are a people person. You love people. You're an incredible encourager. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? How's that come about in your life? I think, number one, it's in my family DNA. We live for summers to go to Kentucky and meet all of our cousins and our family. I grew up with the best family. They'd be playing music and be singing old hymns. I'm talking about shape note music. And I always loved my family. My mom taught me how to love. To me, that infinity in living the Christian life, it's easy for me to love people. But one thing that I asked God to give me when I started pastoring was give me empathy. I would encourage any person going into the ministry to ask the Lord for this trait called empathy. Because what empathy does, whenever I have preached so many suicide funerals, I have preached so many horrible deaths, funerals, that if I did not put myself in people's position and have empathy for them to try and relate to where they're burying their child or whatever it might be, I would not be able to deliver the message in a way that would minister to them at that time. And so God has put the spirit of empathy in my life. I feel people when they lose their job in the coal fields. I feel for them. And so with the gift of empathy, when I think of pastors, I know what pastors go through, and I know how hard it is. And I just want to to bless them. I love them, and I want to encourage them. I know that a lot of them are going through very difficult times. They're probably blaming themselves for a lot of things that they shouldn't. They're taking this personal when they shouldn't. I've always looked at a kind, encouraging word as, and it costing them nothing. It's the right thing to do. And you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, granddaddy always said. These folks are my friends, and they're my colleagues, and they're my fellow warriors, and I just want to bless them. When they get a text from me or a call from me, I just want it to be a bright moment a voice that doesn't want anything from them, but that's going to speak peace to them and love them and say, Hey, I feel you. And I encourage you. And, you know, 
remember this. You can do this. God's got you. Don't forget your call. We're in this together. I understand. And, you know, I tell them, hey, I, I'm going through the same thing you're going through. And so I think it's just loving my fellow man, to be honest with you. And out of empathy, I put myself in people's shoes. And the Reed family trait, we just want to bless people, encourage people, and be a good neighbor. You are the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Fitzpatrick, but you're the community's pastor. What does that look like to be, of course, the faithful pastor, shepherd of your flock, but the pastor that the sick doctor calls you to pray for him or the community leader calls you and wants you to pray for him? What does that look like? Rex, to be honest with you, I love where I'm at. I know beyond shadow of a doubt, God saved me on April 29th, 1979. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he called me in that August of 98. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he led me to here. Now, when I got here, only thing I knew was Route 23 and Route 80. Two roads. I didn't know the first person. I didn't know anybody anywhere. And I can remember praying in the sanctuary and saying, Lord, if you'll let my name be known in the community, I'll let your name be known. Hmm. And so that's happened. He's given me favor. And to be honest with you, you said, how does that happen? I believe in work. And if you're going to be a successful minister of the gospel, you're going to have to work. You can't sit your sorry hind in in your pastor study and copy and paste your sermons and play uh, solitaire all day long and say, oh, here's our field of dreams. We build it and then y'all come. It just don't work that way. And so I get here early every morning. And when I get done with my quiet time and I go eat lunch somewhere in this community, somewhere in Eastern Kentucky, I meet people every day for lunch. And I go to the hospitals. I park in the middle of the town. I got my bibbed overalls on. One day I had bibbed overalls and flip-flops and an old Belfry football t-shirt. And my wife said, where are you going dressed like that? I said, I had my coffee in my hand. I said, I'm going visiting. She said, looking like that? I said, let me tell you something, woman. And she started laughing. I am who I am. I can't be anybody else. And so I park in the middle of town and I just... Hey, I'm Pastor Tommy Reed. How y'all doing? Hey, well, you know, after you do that so many times, people remember you. I go to all the ball games. You know, I'm asked to go down to the hospital and pray tomorrow at noon. I go. When I was asked to be a chaplain for one of the local high school teams, I agreed. It's work. And the more work you put in, the more people you meet. And if they see Jesus in you, and that's what I pray that always happens, then it's just like, Lord, if you'll let my name be known, I'll let your name be known. So I've been blessed to meet a lot of people. And I've been a chaplain for the Kentucky State Police for almost 23 years now. So you just got to take the opportunities to minister in the schools or wherever it may be. And as I say around here, you got to make hay while the sun's shining. You know, you just got to seize the day and just do it. And so to answer your question, I know that's a long way around there, but there's really no simple answer. It's just hard work and taking the opportunities, making the most, making the visits. You know, I'm amazed people now, they want to say, well, I talked to so-and-so yesterday. Oh, really? Did you go to their house? No, I texted them. I said, then you ain't talked to nobody. What is this I, talking to people via text or via, you know, that ain't talking to people. When you're a pastor, you got to invest more in people's lives than that. That's work. That's sweat equity. And so the more that we're willing to put in it, the more we have the opportunity to make a difference in a community or even in a region. 
Brother, I think that that is why your ministry, God has blessed in such an incredible way, because you put your hand to the plow and have plowed through difficult and rocky soil. It just comes down to hard work, and most everything in life is that way. One time, a college basketball coach was asked how he recruited such a talented group of athletes. He said, it's simple. During the offseason, you got to go out and beat the brush. When we come back, Pastor Tommy explains how he forged a special and unlikely relationship in his community. Coming up on March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course you'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Matt Chamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tspc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 704-377-2520. When we think about First Baptist Fitzpatrick, you said there was about 60-some people when you got there, and now there's hundreds and hundreds of people and God's blessed your efforts. First Baptist Fitzpatrick is near the Islamic Center in Eastern Kentucky. Would you tell our listeners about your experience with that? Because when we think about ministry in Appalachia, it's easy for us to think about hills and hollers. And the truth of the matter is your church is up a holler, but in that particular holler is the Islamic Center too. And you have worked to build a relationship with them and try to reach them with the gospel. So tell us a little bit about how you have a relationship with the Islamic Center and the folks there. I tell you, I just love them people. I love them. The leader of the Islamic Center is a very, very dear friend of mine. And I love him. And and he tells me that he loves me. And I pray for him. And he tells me he prays for me. I never even noticed that place whenever I drove up the hollow the first time to come to do that revival in April of 2003. Once I got here, I moved in the community on Friday, October 31st, 2003. At six o'clock on Saturday morning, November 1st, I was driving up Big Branch to holler here, going to the church for my first day on the, the mission field here. As I was coming up the hollow, I noticed in the row of houses that one of them caught on fire in the night and had gutted the whole inside the middle of the roof of it. I looked and I noticed that they looked like there were eight or 10 Muslim men there. So I come to the church, I go in the sanctuary, and as I'm sitting there just not saying nothing, it's like the Lord audibly tells me, what are you doing here? You need to go down there and ask those people if they need any help. And so I grab some business cards. I go down there and I get out of the car and I said, Hey fellas. And every one of them stopped 
And they turned and looked at me and I said, my name's Pastor Tommy Reed. I pastor the Baptist church up here. And they could see the steeple from the house. I said, can I help y'all do anything? Do you need me to get some guys and let's come and help y'all unload some things? And the one man said, no, we have it. And I said, well, here's my card. If I can do anything for you, please let me know. That was the first encounter I'd had with anybody who was Muslim. So as I'm living in this community, I'm constantly through the years saying, Lord, how do I effectively reach these people? How do I tell them about you? And for six years, I studied, I read, I studied. And then one Sunday afternoon, I was at the parsonage is below the Islamic center, below the church in the holler. And I was uh, sitting on the front porch on a Sunday and all of a sudden I saw the leader go up and my heart flipped in my chest. And I heard a voice say, go now. And I get in my car barefooted shorts and a cut off sleeve t-shirt. And I pull in the parking lot and I see the leader and I say, Hey, my name is pastor Tommy Reed. I pastor the Baptist church up there. He said, yes, yes. I know who you are. And I said, I know I've been up here several years, but I've been waiting for the time to meet you. And I said, there's a time me and you can sit down and visit. I, I'd love to take that time. I gave him my business card and he said, maybe sometime soon. So that was the first contact I'd had with the leader. A couple of years after that, it was during Ramadan. And the Lord told me again, you need to go up there and say, hey, to this gentleman. So I go up. And it was during their prayer times during the high holy days of Ramadan. I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I just know that in my being, the Lord said, go up there. And so this young, like 14 year old boy comes and I said, would you mind asking Dr. Bader, would he have a moment? He goes in, he said, he'll be out in, in 15 minutes or so. So I'm sitting in the car the whole time. I'm sitting there. The devil's saying, you know, you just need to leave. You don't need to be here. You know, blah, 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 this and that. And finally he comes out and I say, you know, sir, I would love to visit with you. I said, because if there's ever another September 11th incident in our community, I would love to be a peacemaker and be willing to stand in the gap as a peacemaker. And I said, cause these people are not going to put up nothing like that or happening again. He said, it's Ramadan when it's over with, I will contact you. So he contacted me set up a time. He came up to the church. We sat on the front pew on the very front row. And for an hour and a half, we had a conversation about Islam, America, what happened then? What does an infidel mean? I knew the pillars of Islam. He said, oh, you know, the pillars." I said, yeah. I said, you know, all I really want to tell you is I have faith in Jehovah, the God of the Bible. I believe he sent his son, Jesus. We had that kind of conversation at the end. I said, look, I just want you to know that I love you and I'm going to be praying for you. And uh, he gave me his number. And ever since then, when I text Paul Chitwood at the International Mission Board, Matt Shamlin, Pastor at Rose Hill, Todd Gray, Executive Secretary of KBC, Missionary in China, Adam Greenway, Seminary President at, at Southwestern, Joe Blow at the Greasy Creek and Pike County Pastor in 191 of them. I send this beloved man that I love, my neighbor, my friend, a text with the same thing. And he always replies back, I love you too, Pastor Tommy. So it took years of praying, 
waiting, not cramming a square peg in a round hole, trying to force something because you got to build relationships with other cultures. It's very, very important. And by the way, if, if you're going to come in the mountains to pastor in this area, same thing applies. It's a whole different culture. You got to build relationships, you know, before doors open for you're allowed to do things. And so he brings me figs. My wife started an evangelism ministry. All the doctors live up the hollow there, the mosque, all the Muslim doctors. We would take tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers to their houses. One of Dr. So-and-so's mom and dad came in from Syria and his wife called my wife and said, Hey, we want you to come up to have a tea with us. So here my wife is going up to their house, you know, and enjoying tea. And we're all human beings. We're people. And as Syria has suffered, that family was absolutely gutted and wounded. And they needed somebody to love them, not criticize them or judge them or look down at them because they had a different belief. And in time, I got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it just takes time. You know, when we think of Appalachia, people don't think Islam, people don't think mosques, you know, centered in the heart of Appalachia, but the reality is they're there. I think it's in Acts chapter 17 where Paul's preaching in Athens. As he starts to explain the unknown God to the Athenians, he tells them that this is the God who determines the boundaries and the times allotted to peoples. Yeah. As we think about the people that come into our communities or when we're sent outside of our own communities to other places, we need to see the hand of God behind this. And the reason Paul says God allows the movements of peoples is so that they might reach out and find God. Yes. You know, when I was a boy, the only person from China that I ever saw was Hop Singh on Bonanza. The only person from Mexico that I ever knew in my life was the Frito Bandito on the Fritos commercial or the Cisco kid. But now one of my best friends is the manager of the Chinese restaurant here. I've shared the gospel with him. His mom's Buddha. His dad knows Jesus. The Vietnamese people, their kids come to church here on Wednesday nights. The Mexican families that do the Mexican here, we love those people. We treat them like our own children. The Lord has brought the world in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, think about that. Chinese Mexicans, Guatemalans, El Salvadorans, Vietnamese, right here. I don't have to go on a mission trip. And so who am I not to love them and invite them up for soup, beans, and cornbread and cut a watermelon with them? Why not? I mean, they're people just like I am. When I was in Haiti on missions, I found out that those people want the same thing we want. They want their kids to be healthy. They want their kids to be educated. They want to have a good life, and they want to live in peace with no violence. And when they get cut, they bleed the same color I bleed. And they're sinners. They know they're sinners just like I am. And so that's the beauty of the gospel. This great God, he loves all of us. Jesus died for us. Well, Brother Tommy, do you have advice for people who are serving, who are pastoring in rural places in America, in Appalachia? What would that final piece of advice be? I challenge our church to be Jesus with skin on. It's almost like we've reduced the blessing of God to a sneeze. You sneeze, God bless you. Really? I mean, is that what I want the blessing and the favor of the almighty powerful God to be when I sneeze? 
they say, well, you know, uh, my dad's uh, gone blind from diabetes and is going to lose his leg tomorrow. I'll pray for you. Almost like we dismiss people. We have got to get back to being Jesus with skin on. You know, people need Jesus. They need Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world in their lives. And many times, Jesus sends a person, a Christian, to them. So we've got to be more than this trivial Christianity. We've got to become Jesus with skin on. We've got to be the one to hold the hand of the COVID patient. Forget about getting it. We've got to put ourselves out there to where we walk into that man that was burned up in a fire, in a car wreck, and I reach out and hold his burnt hand to give him peace in that moment. We have got to start weeping with people. We've got to start caring for people. We've got to get back to loving people and making the sacrifice personally so we can be Jesus with skin on the people because the world's going to hell in a handbasket and it don't care and it doesn't know any better. And if we don't start becoming what we're supposed to be, we're failing. And we're going to answer for that. I would encourage everybody, just be Jesus with skin on. Remember your call, it sustains you. Be who you are. You can't be somewhere else. I can't be Matt Shamlin. You know, I got to be who I am, but I also have to adapt to who I need to be. You know, when I'm in a city and I'm a city slicker and I go to the country, I can't be a city slicker in the country. I can be some of the basic things of who I am, but I've got to become somebody that I can be relevant in that culture. It doesn't mean that I change the essence of who I am, but I've got to adapt to the culture so that I'll be useful and relevant there. I got to keep things simple. We got to think we got to be in the stratosphere all the time. No, as Casey Kasem used to say, keep your feet firmly planted in the ground and reaching for the stars. We've become unmoored. We've got to be like the mighty oaks rooted in the word of God and in compassion and in community and with empathy, feeling for people, you know, we just got to keep it simple. They need to hear John 3, 16 more than they need to hear some soliloquy about whatever. We've got to love people. We've got to love the drug addicts. We've got to love the alcoholics. We've got to love the prostitutes and the pimps. We've got to be genuine. We got to be out and active in the world. We need to be kind and empathetic. Most importantly, we need to be there for people. I, I tell our church, all right, 2020 is in the rearview mirror. It's time for windshield time. Go get your vaccines, wear your mask if you want to, but we got to get back to being the church and ministering. We spent all last year trying to figure out how to live without COVID, and we can't do it. It's worse now than it was then. So we better start living by walking by faith and quit trying to walk by sight. And we better start learning how to live with COVID. But we got to keep living. And so we got to be active. We got to be out being the hands and the feet of Jesus. We got to preach and teach the Bible. We got to work hard. And, and Matt, I can't stress this enough. Jesus said the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. There's way too many pastors and ministers don't want to work. Well, do something else because it makes the gospel of no effect if we're not willing to work. It takes a lot of work. And then the last thing I tell them, enjoy the journey. What a great journey it is. It's a life worth living. It's a call worth answering, and it's a journey worth traveling. 
don't ever feel like you're alone. If I can help in any way, you feel free to call me. I love you and I'll pray for you. And if I can invest in you and in, in your life, I'd be honored to do that. All this takes time. So just be faithful. It takes time. Well, Brother Tommy, what a joy it has been to talk to you. We want to leave some things on the shelf because we want to revisit with Tommy Reed sometime in the future because I believe that you have so much to share with pastors as they listen to this podcast and as others as they listen to this. So, Brother Tommy, thank you so much for your time today. Love you much. God bless you. I don't know about you, but Pastor Tommy is a breath of fresh air. Not only is he honest and funny and a great storyteller, he loves people. And we need to be people like Pastor Tommy. If the community knows that the church down the street loves them and will teach them the truth about Jesus, that's a good church. And by the way, Pastor Tommy Reed will be a guest speaker at the Appalachian Ministry Conference at Tri-State Bible College on March 24th, 2022. You can find out more by emailing Rex Howe at rex.howe at tsbc.edu or matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.